Please be seated. Welcome to worship. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020. It sounds so futuristic. So if you came here in an F-150 Millennium Falcon or the Jetsons car, whatever brought you here, we are so glad that you're here and thankful that you are in in this place of worship today. If you are new with us, if this is your first time, we're delighted that you are here. Would you find a worship guide? I hope you were given one as you came in. And find that third panel. There's a connection card at the bottom of that. Fill that out as completely as you can. And when the offering plate is passed a little bit later in our service, drop that card in there. That just helps us get to know you a little bit better. Church family, everyone, on the back of that card is a prayer request card. We pray for you every Tuesday at 1.30, and that's a special time for our staff. And uh, we would just it would be an honor if we could pray for you. Just write those requests down. Anything and everything that we can pray about. If you are new with us today, we consider you our guest, and we have a special gift for you at the close of our service. Would you meet our pastor and his wife in the foyer uh, at the close of our service, and they will give you a copy of his book, The Privilege of Worship. We're grateful that you're here. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. And let's sing his praises together. Let's stand and sing at your name. Pray with me. Lord, we're grateful today. For your goodness and your grace, and we welcome you in this place today. Our joy is in you. We sing to your name today. In Jesus' name we pray. At your name, the mountain shaking
be seated. Isn't it a blessing to be able to sing the praises of the Lord this morning? I, as we were singing there, I said, I think, I feel like I haven't been in here in like a month. It's because I haven't. I've been changing and putting on that white suit to come out here and be that angel and then being off last week. But let me tell you what a great joy it is to be in worship. And I don't understand people that miss it all the time. And so one resolution you might make for the new year is to be a part of worship every Sunday. God does stuff when we get together, and we want to ask the Lord to be with us today and throughout the course of the coming year and even the course of decade with a special time of prayer this morning. And so if you're on the ground level and you're able, if you would pull that kneeler down in front of you and join me in kneeling, and those of you in the balcony and the choir, you may kneel where you are. You can just stay right where you are. But we want to bow our hearts to the Lord today and seek His face at the beginning of this new year and this new decade. Gracious Father, we are so thankful for the privilege of another year, for all of that, all of the opportunities that lay out before us. Lord, a lot of change will take place in the coming year. Even more change will come in the coming decade. And Lord, for all that you have in store of us as individuals and for all that you have in store of us as a people, as your church, we pray, God, that we would be focused on you and that we would walk with you each and every day. Lord, for it's when we're walking with you that you can guide us and direct us. Lord, we pray that we would grow in you spiritually. Lord, there are some in this room who have never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, and I pray that this would be the year when they come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some who've been called by you to step out in different ways, and, and they've not followed through. They've not been obedient. I pray that this would be the year when they do that. Lord, for others, this will be a decade of great opportunity. Lord, there will be students who will graduate, go to college, get married, maybe even have their first child in the next decade. Lord, for others, there may be more major life changes taking place, moving into retirement or even on to glory. But Lord, whatever it is that you have in store for us in the coming decade, God, we know that it is your perfect plan for us, and we want to walk right in the middle of that plan. And so God, take us and guide us, Lord. Use us for your glory. And Lord, expand your kingdom through us as individuals, and Lord, especially through us as a church. Lord, may this beacon on a hill shine bright across central Louisiana, throughout the state of Louisiana, throughout North America, and even, Lord, around the world. Advance your kingdom, God. Make your name great is our prayer. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.
stand and let's sing to our God and King today. Join with me as I pray. Father, as we have already powerfully been reminded in scripture and song and voice, you have richly blessed us as a church and a community and a nation. And we thank you for the year past for the victories that you've given us. But we particularly come today as we think of stewardship of our hearts and minds, our possessions, that you'd help us to achieve one of the greatest years in our lives and as a church as we seek to follow your holy will. So we ask you to bless this offering received this morning. May it be used to further your kingdom in our community and literally around the world. All this we ask in the holy name of Christ. Amen. Children, we would dream of Christmas morn, of all the gifts and toys we knew we'd find, but we never realized a baby born one blessed night. 
always a joy to have Brandon and his sister Victoria home with us for the Christmas holidays and share with us. And I know Grandma Tom and Grandma Judy and Grandpa Tom are excited as well, huh? So what a blessing to have you guys with us. Thanks for sharing with us in that way, Brandon. So 2020, the year upon which every vision was set. Seems like just yesterday, Everyone was setting their vision 2020. Schools, churches, institutions, all these places were looking toward this year. In fact, as soon as Y2K happened and the world didn't fall apart from some cataclysmic computer crash, we looked 20 years down the road to 2020. We've been looking forward to this year, this decade for decades when people in the 20th century, you know, way back then in the 20th century, 
Look toward the 21st century, especially this decade. They couldn't help but dream big. And here are some of the most interesting predictions I found. In 1957, popular mechanics predicted that every road and street in America would be replaced with pneumatic tubes so that your car would only need power enough to get from your house to the nearest pneumatic tube and then you'd be sucked or propelled or however those things work to wherever you were going at several hundred miles an hour. That hadn't happened. In 1966, Time magazine reported that the 21st century would be an incredible economic era. They said, machines will be producing so much that everyone in the U.S. will, in effect, be independently wealthy. Time predicted that in today's money, I'm, we're doing the math to get it up to today's money, we'd all earn around $300,000 a year for doing nothing. Anybody figured that one out? If so, I hope you tithe. But perhaps no predictions are quite as interesting as those provided by the Rand Corporation in 1964. They posed questions to 82 experts across various different fields, and uh, they asked the earliest year that they thought certain milestones would be achieved. You know, you put somebody on the moon, you do a lot of dreaming in the 60s, right? Well, their findings were as follows. By 1980, we would have robots as household servants and a manned landing on Mars. By 1995, there would be automated voting. We still can't figure that out. 1998, directly recording information to the brain. 1999, a military force on the moon. 2000, two-way communication with extraterrestrials. 2015, long-duration coma to allow a form of time travel. Kind of glad we hadn't figured that one out. But the best, 2020, breeding of apes and other animals for menial work. So 2020's here. And unfortunately, in a little while, you're going to go out to your car that still drives on the ground, and you're going to drive on an antiquated roadway instead of getting in a pneumatic tube, and you're going to go home. And tomorrow, you're going to wake up, roll out of bed. You'll still have to make it up yourself instead of letting your monkey do it. And you're going to have to go to work and earn your money instead of sitting in your recliner and letting direct deposit give you what the robots are earning for you. We just haven't achieved everything we hope to achieve. But so what? So what if our vision for 2020 wasn't exactly 2020. The fact remains that vision is good. Looking down the road and dreaming is a good thing. In fact, it is a biblical thing. God wants us to look ahead and to expect new opportunities. Therefore, at the start of this new year and the start of this new decade, I want to explore this truth by considering a passage that you all know. It's pretty familiar to most of us. But turn in your copy of God's Word to Jeremiah 29. Now, this verse 
has brought a lot of comfort to a lot of people in a lot of different situations in life. If we were to share testimonies today, many of you could talk about how at some particular time in life, Jeremiah 29, 11 especially, spoke to you in a special way. Uh, on my desk, right in front of my computer screens, I have a little wooden plaque that was given to me by my pastor and his wife when I graduated from college, I believe it was, and it has Jeremiah 29, 11 inscribed on it. So when I look at that plaque, which is several times every day, I'm reminded that God has a vision for me. God has dreams for me. And God says he has those for us in Jeremiah 29, 11. If you consider the big story of the Bible, Jeremiah falls roughly during the time of the exile. Now, you can remember the Old Testament story, the whole Old Testament story, in just 11 words. 11 words, the whole creation story. Creation, then the fall, then the flood, then you had Babel, then the patriarchs. You go to Egypt, then you have Exodus, and then you have the conquest. You have the period of judges, the period of the kings, the exile, and then the return to Jerusalem. Chapter 29 of Jeremiah is basically a collection of letters between persons in Jerusalem and those in exile in Babylon. And our text for today is a letter written by Jeremiah to the people in exile. And at the time Jeremiah was writing, the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem had fallen to the nation of Babylon. Jerusalem had been destroyed, the temple had been demolished, and people were carted off to exile in Babylon. However, despite Babylon's apparent strength, it was rumored that they were growing weak, and that very soon they would actually fall, which caused some prophets to prophesy to the exiles that they would soon be going home. And the exile would end. Well, Jeremiah hoped that would be the case. Unfortunately, God said it would not be the case. God told Jeremiah that the length of this exile was going to be 70 years. Longer than a generation. And so most of the people exiled in a foreign land might possibly die in that land. And so God instructed Jeremiah to tell the people that they should make Babylon their home, build some homes there, start businesses there, settle in, because they would be there a while. Look at verses 4 through 9 of Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. It's kind of like God was saying, guys, monkeys aren't going to be doing your work for you. You're not going to get money for doing nothing. 
Don't listen to the people that are telling you the dreams of things you want to hear. Instead, settle in. Live at peace. Do everything you can to prosper. Pray for this place, even though it's your enemy, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this is not bad news. God's not saying, suck it up, folks. You're stuck. No. Instead, God is encouraging them. Bloom where you're planted. There are places we are planted that we are not necessarily comfortable. We may even feel isolated or stuck. And I think there are two main places where that happens to us. For one, we may be planted for a season in a particular location, like a job or a city that is not exactly ideal. And a difficult job or a city that's not home can be a very difficult season of life. The second way we may be planted in another place is in a particular situation. Our location may be great, but then we are hit with some kind of situation and dealing with an illness or a, a child with special needs or caring for an aging parent or grieving devastating loss and, and the challenges that come to life because of those things. And when it comes to these locations or situations in life, we wouldn't say we want to be there. We don't celebrate being there, but if you are there, God has led you there. And he's with you there. And since you are there, then there is the garden of God's work in your life. And at least for now, he's going to have you there. And, and, and yes, there you can thrive. In fact... If God has led you there, he wants you to thrive there. And dare I say, you will thrive there. Because if you submit to God and allow him to work out his vision for you, you will thrive where you are planted. Always remember, God wastes nothing. Make the most of where you are. God told the people of Israel to bloom where they were planted, even though they were separated from their homeland. Maybe they were separated even from members of their family. Opportunities were all around them. God said, see that land? Plant a vineyard there. Start a business. You see that skill you have? Make something. Sell it. Have that business. Grow your family. Increase in number. And this location that you despise, pray for it. And see what might happen. Your attitude might very well change because as you pray for its peace, you yourself will find peace. As it prospers, you too will prosper. So whatever your particular location or particular situation, bloom where you're planted. God will prosper you even in that land of exile. Will it be easy? Probably not. God doesn't say it will be. He simply says, do it, and if you do it, you will thrive. And as you thrive, there's something else you can do. You can keep looking forward to a brighter day. There's hope for tomorrow. Eventually, you will be transplanted. So amid this somewhat disappointing message to stay put, especially given what others were saying about not going to be here long, 
God gives Jeremiah a message of hope, and that message was that even though the exile would last for 70 years, and these particular people may not see its end, or at least not all of them, it would indeed come to an end. The Jews would move back to Jerusalem. The city would be rebuilt. The temple will be rebuilt. The people will thrive again while this garden where they are planted wasn't their choice. They would eventually be transplanted to the garden of their choice. So look at verses 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God looked at Israel there in exile. He knew they needed a good Word. So as their heavenly father, he said, my children, I see you. I will come to you. And there in verse 10, he says, I will fulfill my gracious promise to you. Circle that word promise. Because when God mentions his promises, he wants us to pause and think about those promises. In the Bible, there are thousands of promises. Some person has counted like 5,500, another person 7,500, others even more than that. I haven't taken time to count them. I trust them. I just know there are a whole lot of them. There are thousands of them, and God has kept every single one of them that he could keep so far. And so when we see God say, I will fulfill my promises, we're to think, hmm, God always keeps his promises. Remembering that truth can help you bloom where you're planted and and look to that greater day. In Psalm 77, a guy named Asaph is is writing, and and he's having a terrible time of life. He is tossing and turning. He can't shut his eyes at night. His mind is going, and he's so troubled that he's wondering where God is, and he's wondering if God is going to show up. He says things like, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his loving, uh, ever, has his unfailing love vanished forever? I mean, he's in a deep, low pit. He was stuck in a foreign land of a particular situation. And he struggled. He questioned God. But then that psalm continues and he says, Then I thought, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember the miracles of long ago. I'll meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great is our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And then that word, Selah, which we think means just think on that a minute. Here, Asaph was at the bottom. He was deep and and abandoned feeling. But then he remembered what God had said and done, and he was lifted up. The promises fulfilled, the victories achieved, the help given, the, the provision made. And as Asaph reflected more and more on what God had done, Asaph remembered that the same God who did all that was the same God 
who was with him. The same God who had kept all those promises before was going to keep his promises today. You know what? He's the same God you and I serve. The same God that kept his promises then and will keep his promises now. Why? Well, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know. I know you. Is there anything better than knowing that God knows you? Think about that. That fact blows my mind. I think about it every time I'm up in an airplane and I look down. We're so small and insignificant from such lofty heights. And yet God, who is evermore beyond that, stoops down to make us great, as the psalmist says. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He works in our lives. And so through Jeremiah, God tells the people, remember how many times I've intervened into your history on your behalf. You are my people. I know you. And then God says, and I want you to know something. I have plans for you. Sure, you have plans for you. But God says, I have plans for you. And I can assure you that God's plans for you are far better than your plans for you. There are two qualities of these plans of God that are given. First, they are good plans. Some people will not yield their life to God because they think that God's some ultimate cosmic killjoy who will ruin their lives if they submit to him. But nothing could be farther from the truth. God's plans for us are always to prosper us, not to harm us. They are good plans. They're better than anything you or I could come up with. Specifically, God's plans were to bring the people in exile, lead them back to their homeland. And that was the big plan for them. But there are plenty of other plans that God has for us. I mean, just consider this list. He plans to provide for your daily needs, Matthew 6, 31 to 33. He plans to be with you through the power of his Holy Spirit so you will never be alone, John 14, 26. He plans to fill you with joy, John 15, 11. He plans to provide a way out of every temptation with which you're faced, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He plans to give you spiritual strength, Ephesians 3, 14 and 16. He plans to complete what he starts in you, Philippians 1, 6. He plans to provide where he guides. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. He plans to protect you. Hebrews 13, 6. Aren't those good plans? And there's a thousand more where those came from right in the scripture. All meant for you. God has good plans. And after hearing them, I think you'd agree that second, they are hopeful plans. H-O-P-E dash F-U-L-L. God says these are plans to give you a future and a hope. Circle future and hope there. The people in exile had experienced devastating loss. A city they never thought could be destroyed lay in rubble. Homes they never thought they would leave were now inhabited by foreigners and they themselves were 2,000 miles away from that city in those homes in a foreign city. The people of God were defeated. They were bewildered. Many of them wondered if God had forsaken them. But Jeremiah says, no, he hasn't. He has good plans for you. He has plans to give you a future and plans to give you a hope. 
You know, one of the greatest needs of every human being is hope. Devastating defeats, persistent situations that we can't change, terrifying events that come upon us that we can't control cause us to lose hope. And in those times, we need to regain hope because hope helps us look forward and onward and even beyond and above to the Lord God. Hope gives us a future no matter our present or our past. Hope gives a future because it believes there is a future. It helps you to lift up your eyes above your present circumstances to the God who is over those circumstances and to say with Habakkuk, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine and and though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food there, though there are no sheep in the pen, there's no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Though this garden is dead, the growing season is come, and I'm going to bloom when God puts me there. Some who are overly hopeless may scoff at such hope. They might say, ah, you're just naive. But true hope isn't pie-in-the-sky naivete. In fact, even psychologists tell us that truly hopeful people are radically realistic. One psychologist has written, rather than having their heads in the clouds, hopeful people look at what obstacles might come up and steal themselves for the eventuality. From a Christian perspective, people who are full of hope and shored up and and ready for whatever comes their way because they know life happens, but they also know that God is with them. God is the God of the past and the present and the future. He stands above time. He can see all time from the beginning to the end. And so he can help you get over your yesterday, through your today, and move on to your tomorrow. God brings that hope. And being hopeful is good for us. High hopers procrastinate less, can withstand discomfort and pain more, twice as much studies prove, and are less anxious and have fewer depressive symptoms than their less hopeful peers. So look to God and allow Him to fill you with hope. Proverbs 23, 17 to 19 says, Always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise. Keep your heart on the right path. God has good plans, hopeful plans for you. So I guess the big question is, how can we know the plans? I mean, some of you are starting new diets maybe. Maybe you're doing exercise routines or whatever, and you've got your plan. You probably won't keep it after next week, but you've got your plan. Maybe you've downloaded an app. Maybe you've got a website you go to. So we say, God, tell us the plan so we can follow it. Well, here's the deal. God doesn't show us the plan. There's not an app you can download. There's not a website you can go to. God seldom reveals his entire plan. Well, great, you might say. It's hopeless. No, no, it's not. Because while you can't know the plan, you can know the planner. And the planner promises to walk with you every 
single day. You see, we always stop with verse 11, but the power verses are actually in verses 12 to 14. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Truth be told, we probably wouldn't understand the plans if God laid them out for us. But if we walk with him each and every day, if we pray to him, if we seek him, with all of our hearts, then we'll be staying on the right course. And God can guide us every day. A relationship with God is key. You can't sit him over in a corner. You can't leave him here at church. You have to seek him every single day so he can guide you every single day. It reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, another familiar passage. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And what happens? He'll make your path straight. Do you want 2020 vision for 2020? Great. Do you want this decade to be another roaring 20s? Great. But that begins with God. Get to know the planner. Live each day at his side. He has good and hopeful plans for you. You know, I've always enjoyed Shel Silverstein's work. You're probably familiar with it, The Giving Tree and books of poems like uh, A Light in the Attic and uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends, things like that. I remember reading those as a, a kid and being entertained by them and even instructed by them. And, and I still am. I still love his work. But I came across his poem, Listen to the Mustn'ts. And, and that's new to me as far as I remember. And as I read that poem, I thought... Hear it as God speaking to you, and then tag Jeremiah 29, 11 to the end. Here's how it would go that way. Listen to the mustn'ts, child. Listen to the don'ts. Listen to the shouldn'ts, the impossibles, the won'ts. Listen to the never-haves. Then listen close to me. Anything can happen, child. Anything can be. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. So, yeah. Listen to the mustn'ts. But walk with God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, for a new year, a new decade, lots of hope laid out in front of us. Help us, God, to walk with you right in step. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.